Hello, everyone, and welcome to an all-new episode of Insurance Uncovered. This podcast is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies and is your source for insurance news and perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. I'm your host, Kathy Imus, and today we're uncovering the hardening reinsurance market. Jen Rees' Kara Regul discusses how the industry has changed in the first part of 2023, and she shares what companies can do in anticipation of the next renewal cycle. And a wave of insurance companies reduces and eliminates coverage in California. How Congress is asking the Federal Insurance Office to address the coverage crisis. Plus, a new auto insurance bill aims to restrict underwriting freedoms. Why NAMIC advocates say the PAID Act will have unintended consequences for consumers. But first, in the nation's capital, Congress is taking a closer look at the recent decisions of insurance companies to not offer new homeowner policies in California. House Financial Services ranking member Maxine Waters sent a letter to Treasury's Federal Insurance Office requesting it provide a report to Congress on the availability and affordability of insurance, along with recommendations to address this coverage crisis that is limiting insurance availability and affordability for millions of Californians. Waters' letter highlights consumer advocates' concerns that the exodus of private insurers may force insurance regulators to approve substantial rate increases that were previously denied and may also raise antitrust issues. NAMIC advocates will educate members of Congress about the challenging market environment in California and its negative effects on property casualty insurers. Legislation to restrict underwriting by banning the use of non-driving factors has been reintroduced in the House of Representatives. The Prohibit Auto Insurance Discrimination, or PAID Act, would prevent insurers from accurately matching risk to rate through an overly broad elimination of a multitude of proven factors, such as income, credit scores, and education level. This limitation will ultimately lead to less risky drivers subsidizing coverage for those who present a greater risk of loss. Multiple federal and state governmental agencies, including the Federal Trade Commission, have studied the issue. All have concluded that the use of non-driving factors helps insurers better assess risk and offers rates that are actuarially sound while affording equal treatment to consumers. Further, nearly every state has enacted laws governing how insurers can use credit-based insurance scores and require notice to consumers on both initial use and if adverse action is taken. NAMIC's opposition to this legislation in the past prevented it from gaining any traction beyond introduction. As the association continues to express the harsh realities and impact the legislation would have on consumers, it's hopeful the same outcome will again happen this Congress. A coalition of insurance trade groups, including NAMIC, is urging Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker to veto legislation allowing uncapped punitive damages in wrongful death cases. In a letter to the governor, the coalition explained that House Bill 219 sends a hostile message to job creators about the state's civil justice statement, long-term stability, and the overall economic viability of the state at a time when Illinois needs just the opposite. NAMIC Regional Vice President Andrew Perkins says the bill would be detrimental to Illinois consumers and business owners. 
Uh, obviously, we've been fighting this across the country over the past several years, um, and unfortunately, they were able to get it through in Illinois. And now, you know, the fight, the real fight now is um, working with the governor's office and, and explaining to them the economic impact that this would have on uh, insurers across the state, um, really showing the economic impact of how many, how many great domiciled companies that we have in Illinois and how many jobs that, that creates. So having a, a, a new system with this bill in place would obviously impact that. So we will continue to work with the governor and uh, continue to request a veto. The legislation passed in the final days of the session without meaningful debate and overturns almost two centuries of legal precedent. If signed into law, HB 219 would impose punitive damages in lawsuits, adding significant costs on select employers while unfairly preventing other entities from facing the same damages. Well, I think we can all agree 2023 has proven to be a challenging year for the reinsurance industry. The market has hardened significantly this year following large loss trends, elevated levels of inflation, and the unexpected impacts of climate change. On today's Unscripted, NAMIC CEO Neil Aldrich sits down with GenRe CEO Kara Reguel to talk about how the reinsurance market has changed in the first part of the year and what companies can be doing in anticipation of the next renewal cycle. The topic of reinsurance is clearly, if not top of mind, top two of mind of the property casualty insurance industry and executives therein. Uh, certainly in the NAMIC membership, everywhere I go, uh, we talk about the reinsurance market right now and what's going on in it, that the dynamics that are at play that are causing some interesting times for the insurance world. And so today we're going to explore that topic in our unscripted segment of the podcast with a, a face and a voice that many of you know. Uh, Kara Regal is going to join us. Kara from Genry. Uh, Genry and NAMIC have a long history together of working together. Uh, great partner of NAMIC and NAMIC members, and Kara, thank you for joining us today. Lots of stuff to talk about. Yes, thanks, Neil. I'm I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here, and it's a lot of a lot of tough stuff to talk about. I think right now in the industry, reinsurance among the topics. Indeed. So why don't we go get right to it? Give us just a little background on you know what some of the driving dynamics are. And, you know, there's been some capacity changes, there's certainly been pricing changes, there's been a lot of claims activity that's probably the underlying cause of all the dynamics in the reinsurance market. Just kind of walk us through some of the factors that are at play here. Yeah, so I think you have to go back a little bit. So like five or six years ago, you had a benign period of a cat, um, I would say a soft dish casualty market as well. And then the you know, weather has been changing, but you just saw losses coming through, but you had an oversupply of capital and you took a punch and you kept going. And I think the reinsurance industry took kind of one too many or four too many punches. And that's coming from weather, um, certainly um, accelerating to today. It's coming from inflation and it's not just coming from big hurricanes, right? It's coming from some of the Midwest weather that we've talked about, derechos, hail, um, tornadoes, straight line winds, uh, kind of every which way you look, you're getting it. And then again, you throw that, throw, throw those inflationary factors on top of it and some of that casualty 
soft market, you throw social inflation. So you, you get to a place where it doesn't feel good deploying your capital. And as companies kept trying to trade through it in different forms and fashions, you get to a place where I you pretty much say uncle. And that happened very swiftly and rapidly uh, in the property market at the end of 22, kind of second half of 22 with Ian coming on shore mm-hmm. in Florida. So the last six months have been uh, much different than the prior six months. And this is, it's not, didn't happen quickly in the sense of what got us there, but the reaction was quick. So I would say, yeah. so January was certainly um, tumultuous because the supply and demand curves weren't meeting anymore. Like the market clearing prices weren't known and people were resetting because they had getting their expected losses wrong. And they also then I think felt that they needed more margin for the risk they were taking. So, and with the mark to market losses that also happened in the asset side, like there was a lot of motion around the capital and some people just said, I want to take my ball and go home. Others said, I want to play, but these are my rules of playing. And there was a reset effectively of understanding where the, that supply and demand curve were meeting. And January eventually cleared, but it cleared at much different levels than it had in the past. And that was uncomfortable and stressful. Um, and obviously use the word emotional, right? For various yeah. companies, but really tough. And every company's in a different place as far as their size and their capital and their ability to move their retentions and and their view of length of time of how they think about things. So it was it's stressful, stressful for everybody, I would say. But the that that meeting of those two curves moved up materially on price and terms and conditions. Yeah, no doubt. It's, it's, I know, I mean, we've had all sorts of cycles in the insurance industry, weather pattern changes or general economic condition changes or things like 9-11 or the, you know, various, you know, severe weather events. But it seemed like this particular set of circumstances was just kind of all of the above, kind of all at once. Um, I know it's hard to say anything yeah. is unprecedented, but I think this this certain set of circumstances at least seems to be fairly unique when you look at other cycles we've been through. And I think that's why climate change comes into the equation. Like what, how much of the volatility that we're seeing is coming from the earth being a different temperature or different weather patterns that are happening because of right. that. Um, so you feel like you have a lot of tail events all happening at the same time. And I think that's one of the big questions that's out there right now is, do you look at the last couple of years as what the new normal is? Do you look at the last couple of years as a, a, you know, a frequency of events that happen in a concentrated time, but they're still tail events? Or do you look at what the last couple of years and you think it's going to get worse? Right. And that's causing a lot of the anxiety and the engine of our industry, effectively, yeah. Um, yeah. and differing views of risk and, and where people are comfortable deploying lines on that basis. I also think it's it's hard to quantify it, but we we've built a lot of infrastructure and assets in in our country all over the country in North America you know as a whole so when weather that happens that's funky that might have gone through a cornfield 20 years ago is going through yeah. a subdivision now so i think yeah. part of the and getting those valuations right we didn't talk about that earlier but just the TIVs just knowing what your sum insureds are and the value of your home and how to replace mm-hmm. costs the supply chain issues right like that oh, that yeah. was adding to some of that insecurity and feeling you're getting your loss costs right in in your pricing. So I think some of the losses we're seeing is is also due to the growth of the GDP, right, of the world that we're living in, which is a good thing. Yeah, there's just more things to break and they cost more money to put them back together again. And uh, then you had particular kind of spikes and inflationary pressures and 
the same time, equity markets, you know, right. performing poorly, it just all right. really kind of came together. So I guess that gets us to sort of the next part of this really discussion is that's sort of where we've been and now. So where are we going? Right. So how does it look in the second half of 2023? You know, the question I get all the time from member companies is, you know, we're sitting here trying to figure out, you know, is this temporary? Is this if it, if it is temporary, how long is temporary? Is this going to, you know, what, what where we are in the cycle here now? So I I can tell you how I feel today. It's very hard crystal ball. Yeah. The, the behavioral issues, right? That market movement of capital. But I would say over the last six months, so go January to kind of right now or the end of May, last five months, um, the supply demand curves are meeting more efficiently. So it doesn't feel as bad to get to the answers, but the answers are still at a higher price point materially than where it was last year. Yeah. So I'd say certainly 4.1 felt similar to the outcome of, of 1.1. And May is kind of in the same range on that basis. There's a little bit of capital coming into the market. So I think the the ability to clear feels better, but it's still clearing materially up in price. 25 to 40% is not out of the range of reasonability. Programs are getting done, though. So some of the holes that I think people found in January, yeah. there's less holes at, um, happening now. So there's efficiency in that. And that's naturally what happens. Like once you kind of, understand where those supply and demand curves are, right? That's part of the the market dynamics is understanding how to make that come together as I said, more efficiently. And that's happening. So it doesn't feel worse than it felt before. Now the real question is what's the slope of that curve as capital either comes into the market or gets more confident. Certainly the weather in the first quarter of this year in April specifically was pretty bumpy for a lot of companies, specifically oh, yeah. in the Midwest. So those secondary perils, like and you go down the list of hail, derecho, straight line wind, tornado, right? Certainly in the southeast and Midwest, um, really hit some balance sheets hard. And because retentions have gone up, because the lower layers have gotten hammered, they're they're tending to sit inside insurance company results more than the reinsuring into the reinsurance markets. The cat eggs have pretty much gone away because they got pounded mm-hmm. so hard as well. So the weather is still causing. Um, losses like just full on oh, yeah. you know drop in surplus right so that volatility on the weather isn't going to solve itself in my opinion so i don't see this as a short term thing where all of a sudden you're going to go back to terms that you had 3 years ago i think the the transition that i see is happening certainly in my visits as i've been traveling around the country in the last couple of weeks is companies are focused on getting their underlying portfolios profitable they need to price for that weather versus relying on reinsurance that might have been not at the adequate levels that it should have been. So, and it's not just reinsurance, it's it's also the trends in auto, like things that you could rely on as kind of being steady state in your underlying portfolios, whether that's personal or commercial, um, is, is tough right now. So all that admitted portfolios need a lot of rate to flow through them. So getting those portfolios up kind of helps the whole insurance ecosystem effectively to get to a more adequate place. And it also makes it easier to tolerate some of the reinsurance prices that I think are going to be here for a while. There's always going to be market cycles, right? There's supply demand that's going to move. Um, demand is there, and I don't see that going away. And I think the supply will get stronger, assuming that weather isn't 
more unique outlier events. Like we already mm-hmm. have kind of expected set of outlier events, I'll call it that. So so I think we're still going to have a challenging market through the rest of the year. I think it'll be more efficient and more effective as we've seen it. Um, at some point, the bottom could drop out. I don't see that, but I know better to think that I know what's coming in the near future. We've gotten through, you know, 10 minutes of conversation. We haven't talked about COVID at all, right? So that, yeah, that's, right. that there's, there's tail events to exist, so. So that's at least for property. Casualty feels a little bit different. The social inflation and economic inflation are affecting books in in different ways, but material ways. So I feel like the underlying insurance portfolios still need to get rates, certainly in the admitted world and most of where the NAMA clients uh, play. Yeah. yeah, and we, you know, we we try to we we try we made some good steps. We think this year trying to help them things around the edges on the regulatory side and its impact on social inflation you know the we're hopeful that the significant tort reform in florida for instance is is going to make an improvement we think it, we know it will it won't you know in this year perhaps but it will with some time um but the whole phenomenon of social inflation and its impacts <clears throat> on the lines with the real inflation and the real weather losses all put together you know, kind of create a really challenging environment here. Uh, but we're working, doing our part to try to help, you know, where we can on the regulatory side to help make that better. And we're talking, you know, states have got to do better. They have to be more agile in terms of on the rate questions. You know, I mean, the companies are just lagging behind what their right. costs are here. And right. we've got to right. just make progress there. Um, right. And I see that in desire and the efforts being put in the insurance companies are focused on that like getting and it requires advocacy i mean that's what namic at its core does is to help that florida feels ahead of the rest of the country right now which is kind of hard for me to say with a straight face right but um they you know they've gotten a lot they've had a lot of insolvencies like it's come about because of crises right and the weather highlights that but they've had those reforms because there's been such a drain of just healthy organizations to provide homeowners insurance that are there. And I, you know, I'd love to see the rest of the country get there without the consequences that Florida had to go through to get to their side. Right. So that includes advocacy to your point, as well as, um, as well as getting our rates adequate and understanding the trends and inflation that we're dealing with, being responsive to them. And that's really where some companies have been faster or slower, but they're all focused on it. They're all working on it. That was the center of my conversations this past week when I was on yeah. the road. Yeah, indeed. Um, and we're, yeah, in fact, it's something I thought I'd never say. We're, we're going to hopefully take some of the pieces from the Florida reform efforts and package it into like model legislation for other states to follow. Something else that is not normally a practice in the last 20 years where we try to get other states to follow what they're doing there. So really a testament to the scope of the reform down there. So let's turn this to the NAMIC membership a bit. Um, you, Jen Reed, got a long history of working with a lot of our member companies. I talked to everybody about the great partnership that our two organizations have together and have had for years. Um, and I know, you know, the NAMIC members are important client base for you all. Uh, how do you see the mutuals specifically playing in this space? Yep. Um, all that is true. It's been true before I joined Genry. And I have often said I feel like a custodian in that relationship. And mm-hmm. I see no reason why that that doesn't continue. And we try to invest more effectively um, in many of those relationships with NAMIC as well. Um, so I'm grateful to inherit that, you know, robust yeah foundation, but I also want to build on that. And we have been doing that. Um, I think it's really important for the mutual space. And this is small or large. 
to get their underlying portfolios healthy, right? So there certainly is a reinsurance aspect, which I can talk about in a minute, but to me to get their rates adequate, analysis of their portfolio, their underwriting criteria, really like that blocking and tackling. Um, and, and it's not just a small company problem to sort through that. There's companies with several hundred actuaries that are going through the same things right now. So it's interesting of all sizes. Like that's yeah. the challenge, I think, in the mutual space. And it's also for stock stock companies, too. Um, I think the mutuals are more concentrated in mid lines of business, which gets to your regulatory challenges and some of the sensitivity of prior approval um, in their rating basis. Um, so that's, that's certainly really, really important. I also think pricing in whether in the underlying portfolios, like really understanding what your second, uh, use secondary puzzles just for most of the country. Um, the models are not as robust as I think people perceive them to be. Mm-hmm. Um, hur- hurricane is ahead, whether it's, you know, I'll say accurate, we can go with a range of reasonability on that. But on the secondary side, I really think that they're not well flushed out yet. So I think having confidence around what your prices need to be, because really the reinsurers are taking that tail risk over time in a fair relationship. You're We're balancing the volatility for the primary company, but over time, both companies should expect to make money on that portfolio. Yeah. So I think that's really one of the big fundamentals for the, the mutual admitted company paper for commercial and personal lines. Get your values right on their property side, right? Make sure that you're considering inflation, in all of your assumptions that you're doing and get your rates filed. And sometimes there's system challenges. Again, different companies have different issues with that. Um, and the reinsurance follows, right, effectively on that yeah. side. And I and I I think I just go back to the reinsurance side for a second, you know, keeping those pipelines open for those conversations and learning from what's going on. Most companies right now have the ability to get rate and change some of their forms and change some of their deductibles. And they're always worried about their agency relationships because that's their blood and like lifeline, right, to their consumers. But right now, the whole market is moving in that direction because it needs to. So it's a good time to make some of those changes. It's less disruptive than it would have been, you know, maybe three years ago and maybe three years from now. So I think there's an opportunity right now to to kick the tires on your own portfolio um, in a way. Yeah, no doubt. Um, It is an opportunity to do that. And I know a lot of members are giving it a lot of hard look. Um, and, and I think, you know, we're going to see there'll be some other changes, too. There'll be some consolidation that occurs, I'm sure. That's normal. We've seen that for right. years. I think that's, you know, those dynamics are still going to play themselves out. Um, and, you know, that's kind of a natural occurrence of some of this activity as well. Right. Um, right. So go back to your core, your question, and kind of from Jen Rhee's perspective, like we want to help people get their books in line, yeah, right? Their right. books to where they want them to be. So like our focus is on helping sharing information or doing audits or giving feedback on that basis. That helps. And that comes through our reinsurance relationships with what, again, we do as a direct market on the underwriting and claim side. We want to we want to get that information faster in their hands, to make better decisions. Um, and that comes through, as I said, in those relationships. I do think that there's a lot of tough stuff out there right now. So like the more that we can engage on that and I, and I, Again, for the other partners that the NAMIC members have, they should be relying on them or pinging them for that as well. The more information you gather right now, I think the more powerful it is because there's such a quick um, and just quickly things are changing, but it's also trying to have credible data sets, right, at the at the same time. So. Well, that's, that's great thoughts, Karen. Thanks for, for sharing with us today. You're, you've been a, a great leader in this industry. You've got great insights. Um, you know, you you're very uh, 
I call I call you one of the big brains in the industry, and we need we need your thoughts now. So I hope everybody listening to the podcast, you know, kind of really listens to the kinds of things that you're offering here. Um, it's it's terrific insight to this challenging dynamic we have right now. I think all of us just know, you know, eventually it will change again. Um, but that's uh, yeah. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll live through it. Uh, I think we'll thanks, Neil. you know we'll come through it on the other side. But thanks again for for joining us. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your you know, friendship and work with NAMIC over all these years. Thanks, Neil. No, it's great. I mean, there's a lot of big brains out there. And for anyone with any kind of great matter, it's a tough time to figure out what's going on. So the more that we can help the NAMIC community for sure um, and just get to a healthier place, right? It, it want, I want it to feel better for everybody. And I mean yeah. that, as you know, when I say it, but we're, we, we feel lucky. We've worked hard. Um, but I know there's a lot of hard work ahead for many of your members and for for us and, and my peer group as well. So we're going to continue at it. Um, anything we can do, you know where to find us. And thank you for allowing me the opportunity to chat with you today. And that's it for this week's episode of Insurance Uncovered. We hope you enjoyed the program and we'll be back again on June 28th to hear more insurance news and perspective. Until next time, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a great day. <laughs>